I'm excited about what God is doing in our church family, and I'm sure you are as well. I want to share a few Go God Go moments with you this morning as we begin to celebrate all God is doing in us, for us, through us, and around us. Our November Dollar Day giving was $2,187. Yes. We were able to take those dollars and we were able to purchase more goods and supplies for the Lakeside Manor Senior Living Apartments than we've ever done in the past. You'll see a picture there. You'll see the list of all the things that we were able to take and provide. And we have multiple tables. We filled up their rooms with all the stuff we were able to take and provide for them. And the tears on the faces of those who worked there said it all. It is a blessing for us to be able to give and minister to those God's placed around us. Go, God, go. Say it. Go, God, go. We had our Crossridge Cares ministry team of 40 in cooperation with local businesses. They worked together to provide, prepare, and deliver 193 Thanksgiving meals yesterday to the residents at Lakeside Manor Senior Apartments. They went ahead and made it a clean 200 because they took seven more meals and fed seven other folks through Meals on Wheels. This happened yesterday with our Crossridge Cares ministry team. Go, God, go. Say that with me. Go, God, go. We delivered this past week 148 Christmas shoeboxes to the Operation Christmas Child on Wednesday. Go, God, go. On, Sept on October 8th, a few months, a, few, a month and a half back, a few weeks back, on October 8th, I shared a sermon with you uh, in regards to giving God's way. And on that Sunday, I shared with you that we were at that point on October 8th, $129,838 behind in our 2023 budget giving. I also share with you that I was confident, I believe that God would make a way to take care of that deficit because it's his budget, it's his ministry, and it's his money, and he's going to use us to do just that. On the, over the 40 Sundays, over the 40 Sundays of this year, prior to October 8th, there were 40 Sundays prior to October 8th, and over the course of those 40 Sundays, we averaged in weekly budget giving $22,014 a week for 40 Sundays up to October 8th. Since October 8th, since that sermon on giving God's way, for the last six Sundays from October 8th through to November 12th, last Sunday, we have averaged $27,851 in weekly budget giving. That's a 21% increase in giving over the last six weeks. Go, God, go. Say that with me. Go, God, go. This now indicates that we have cut that deficit that we talked about by $41,971. Our current budget deficit as we sit here today is $87,891. So we are getting it where it needs to be, which is eliminated. Now, here's the exciting news. Here's an amazing go, God, go. Walk with me. Just follow with me. This is real easy. If we would have been giving 
over the first 40 weeks of the year as we've been giving the last six weeks of the year, which we clearly can do because we've been doing it now for six weeks, if we would have been giving the first 40 weeks of the year like we've been giving the last six weeks of the year, we would be $117,702 ahead of our budget giving. Go, God, go. What does this mean? Why am I rejoicing in this? I'm rejoicing in this because we can give God's way. We can join God in his work. We can trust God with what he has given to us. We can honor him in our giving to him. God is growing our church family. I don't know if you've noticed. I'm sure you probably have. God is growing our church family in ministry, in service opportunities to all those around us, and in size. When we get together now, we have fellowships together. We can't fit in one room any longer. We're having to spread into both rooms in the back, and those rooms are overflowing when we do. God is at work and we are looking to build. We're looking to expand. We're quite honestly looking to keep up with what God's doing because God's not about to stop or slow down what he's doing in us, for us, through us, and around us anytime soon. This is exciting for you and for me. So let's keep showing God we love God by our giving to God. Let's keep showing God we trust him by our giving to God. And let's keep thanking God by our giving to God. God is doing a great work in us. To God be the glory for what he is doing. And God is still has great works ahead for us. And I know you join with me. I can't wait to see what God has in store in the weeks to come. Go, God, go. All that he's doing in us, for us, through us, and around us. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Joshua chapter 6. We we're going to continue in our sermon series in the book of Joshua. God is strengthening our faith and trust in him through our study of Joshua and the Israelites' first conquest in the promised land at Jericho. As we've shared, there's four stages uh, to Joshua chapter 6. The first stage is the explanation, and that covers the first five verses. And God explained his plan to Joshua. What happened is we've seen already, God spoke to Joshua, God assured Joshua of victory at Jericho. God called Joshua, he commanded Joshua to look I, look to him, look up to him. Don't look at Jericho, don't look at the walls around Jericho, look to me, Joshua. God then explained his plan for Joshua to Joshua. As God explained his plan to Joshua, God wanted fellowship with Joshua, he wanted faithfulness in Joshua, and he wanted followership from Joshua. What God wanted from Joshua, he wants from us today. God wants fellowship with us, God wants faithfulness in us, and God wants followership from us. God wants us to walk and talk with him. God wants us to believe and trust him. God wants us to obey and follow him. The first stage is the explanation. The second stage is the application. The application covered verses 6 through 20. The application was Joshua's part. The application was the Israelites' part. The application is our part as well. And so we'll jump in real quick in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 6. Follow with me. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the troops, move forward, march around the city, and have the armed men go ahead of the ark of the Lord. 
After Joshua had spoken to the troops, seven priests carrying seven trumpets before the Lord moved forward and blew the trumpets. The ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed men went in front of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard went behind the ark. But Joshua commanded the troops, do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until the time I say, shout. Then you are to shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling it once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. Watch this. I know you see this with me. In the first five verses, God explained his plan to Joshua. He told Joshua what he wanted Joshua to do. We just finished reading, and we see here Joshua explain God's plan to the priests and the troops. Then Joshua, the priests, the troops, and the Israelites did what God said to do, when God said to do it, the way God said to do it. As they followed God, they saw God do what he said he would do. They saw God do what only he could do at Jericho. As we follow God, as we do what God says to do, when God says to do it, the way God says to do it. As we listen to God, as he speaks to us, and then as we follow and obey, as we do what he says, when he says, the way he says to do it, we too see God do what he has promised he will do for us. We get to see God do what he says he will do for us. We get to see God do what only he can do. Just as Joshua, the priests, the troops, and the Israelites saw God in a clear and mighty way before them at Jericho, we see God in a clear and mighty way before us, around us, in us and through us, on a day-by-day basis. Now we're going to continue looking at some lessons we learn as we follow God. These lessons inspire us to keep on following God. We covered the first two last Sunday, so I'm going to hit these first two, summarize them briefly, and then we'll move forward this morning. The first lesson we learned as we join in on this amazing scene is God is at work. God was at work in Joshua and the Israelites. God is at work in you and in me. Paul told us, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know, we understand, we can be confident, for it is God who is working in us, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Whether we know it, see it, understand it, or embrace it, it is nonetheless true, God is at work in us. God is at work in us, maturing us in our faith in Jesus. That means trials, challenges, difficulties, because that's the very thing God uses to mature and complete our faith in him. God is at work maturing us in Christ Jesus. God is at work drawing us to Christ Jesus. God is at work making us more and more like Jesus. And God's work in us is good for us. It was good for Joshua and the Israelites. God's work is good for us. God is at work. Second truth we see is God will make a way. God made a way for Joshua and the Israelites to conquer Jericho. God made a way for the walls to fall down around Jericho. God will make a way for you and me as well. 
God will make a way for us to overcome our obstacles. God will make a way for us to trust him through our trials. God will make a way for us to grow in our faith in Christ Jesus. God will make a way for us to walk in our victory in Christ Jesus. Think about it. God made a way for us to even know him by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. The good news of the gospel tells us that we were once dead in our sins, separated from God because of our sin against God. And we had no way of getting to God on our own because we had missed God's mark due to our sin against him. And yet God loved us so much he made a way for us to be reconciled to him, to be brought back to him, to enter into a relationship with him. God sent Jesus to earth to rescue us from our sins. Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He was tempted as we're tempted, but he never sinned. And he died a perfect death on the cross of Calvary, defeating sin. He was buried in the tomb, and on the third day, he rose again, defeating death. He is victorious over sin, Satan, and death. And his victory is granted to us by God's grace through our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And his death, burial, and resurrection for our salvation. God made a way for us to know him, to be brought back to him, to be made right with him. And we know if God made a way for us to know him and to be reconciled with him, God will make a way for us day by day as we follow him. He'll make a way. This is exciting. This is encouraging. This is humbling. And this is comforting. Because many of us, Maybe in a situation or a circumstance in our lives, we may be facing a Jericho in our lives where we don't see a way. And not only that, we may be facing a situation where we don't actually believe there's a way. And yet we know based upon the truth of this word and our great and awesome almighty God that he makes a way for you and for me. And as we follow God... He makes his way for us, clear to us. As we follow him, as we obey, he makes his way clear to us. So we can rejoice in these first two lessons. The third lesson we see is God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. We can rejoice in this truth. We can rely on this truth. We can rest in this truth. God's ways are not our ways. This was true for Joshua, for the Israelites, for Rahab and her family. If you think about it, this was true for Abraham and Sarah. This was true for Noah and his family. This was true for Joseph, his father, his brothers and their families. This was true for Moses and Aaron. This was true for all the heroes of the faith, the men and women in scripture that we read about today. This is also true for you and for me. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not always our ways. Isaiah the prophet told us this. He said, for my ways are not your ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts. This is the Lord's declaration. For as high as heaven is above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we know our ways and thoughts pale in comparison to God's ways and thoughts. We see this in the scriptures. We see this at work in our lives. God's ways are not our ways. And we can rejoice and rely and rest in this truth. 
So let's look at two points about God's ways. Real quick, there's so many others we could glean from this passage. Let me just share two in particular this morning. Two points that we see. Number one, God's ways are always God-sized. God's ways are always God-sized. His ways are bigger, better, greater, and wiser than our ways. We think God knows. We try, God does. We stress, God doesn't. We understand clearly our sight is limited. Joshua, in and of himself, didn't see a way to conquer Jericho. He didn't see a way for the walls to come down around Jericho, but God did. There are times where we don't see a way to solve our problems. We don't see a way to overcome our obstacles, but God does. As Paul reminded us, now we see dimly as a reflection, as in a mirror, but God, we know, sees clearly from beginning to end. He sees clearly. We are also limited in our wisdom. When you think about it, Joshua didn't know how Jericho would be conquered in and of his own wisdom. He didn't know God was going to save Rahab and her family. He didn't know how God's plan for him and Israel worked together with God's plan for Rahab and her family, but God did. And God made it known to him. We don't always know how our obstacles are going to be overcome by us. We don't know how or when our trials will end. We don't know how or when our prayers will be answered. We don't know all that God is doing in others' lives. We don't know all that God is doing in our lives, and we certainly don't know all in ways that God is working in us and how it works together with how he's working in those around us. But God does. God does. As Paul reminded us, now we only know in part. We see dimly, we see in part, and we only know in part. But God knows completely from beginning to end. God sees completely from beginning to end. And therefore, we know God's ways are always God-sized. Everything God does is God-sized. Think about it. God said, let there be, and there was. God hung the sun, the moon, and the stars in the sky. God provided a ram for Isaac and for Abraham. God parted the Red Sea for Moses and Israel. God parted the Jordan River for Joshua and Israel. God provided a way for the walls around Jericho to fall down before Joshua and the Israelites. God made a way for us to be made right with Kim. God saved us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. God has placed his Holy Spirit in us to teach us, encourage us, guide us, convict us, and to change us to be more like Jesus. God adopted us into his family. He placed us with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus so that we can do his will together as family in Christ Jesus. God is preparing eternity for us, and we're going to go, and we're going to spend eternity with him one day. Everything God does is God-sized. Everything. It's God-sized. Think about your own life. I mean, as I take time to reflect, 
in my life and what God has done. It's God-sized examples again and again and again and again. Because very, there were very few times where I saw and knew ahead. And if I did, that was only because God made it clear to me ahead. Most of the time, I had to believe and follow, and then I saw and knew. And that's what God is doing here with these believers. Saying, march, go. And as they marched, as they went, as they circled and circled and circled, they ultimately saw what God did. And what God did there at Jericho was God size. And what he's doing for you and for me is God sized as well. Everything he does, every way, every thought of his is God sized. And so we can rejoice and rest in this. The second lesson we learned, the second point we see about God's ways is God's ways are always successful. They're always successful. God's ways are always successful because they're God's ways. As Solomon said, there is no wisdom, no understanding, no plan that can prevail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. As David said, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, we rise and stand firm. As David said that our God is a sun and shield, he bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Paul said, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. John said, the one in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus himself said, take heart, be courageous. I have conquered the world. I have overcome the world. And Jesus told us, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God's ways are always successful because they're God's ways. They're his ways. And so we get a chance to see this again in this passage, but also in our own lives. As you look at this passage, we see that if God did not show up, Joshua and Israel don't cross the Jordan River. If God did not show up, the two Israeli spies don't make it back to Joshua. If God did not show up, Rahab and her family are not saved. If God did not show up, Joshua and Israel don't make it to Jericho. If God did not show up, the walls around Jericho don't fall. But God did show up and the walls did fall. Amen? God did show up and the walls, they did fall. And understand and know the walls fell because God brought the walls down. That's why the walls fell. Was Joshua and Israel responsible to obey God? Yes. Was the faith of Joshua and Israel important in the process? Yes. Was Joshua and Israel's faith and obedience to God the reason the walls fell? No. The reason the walls fell was because God. God brought the walls down. He asked, requested, required, and wanted the obedience and the faith of Joshua and the Israelites. And they followed the Lord and they saw God do what only God could do. Listen, God's ways are always successful because they're his ways. Our ways, on the other hand, 
And man, have we learned this lesson in the past. Our ways aren't always successful because there are ways. God's ways are always successful because they're his ways. And we're able to understand the difference as we follow him in humble surrender to him. Because as we humbly follow him, God shows up for us. He shows up for you and for me. And his plans for us succeed. God shows up for us just as he did Joshua and Israel. And his plans for us succeed just as they did for Joshua and Israel. They may look different. That success may look different. And many times success, that God's success in his plans is different from our desired measures of success for our plans. But once again, his plans are greater. And his plans always succeed. And so we know God is at work. We know God will make a way. We know God's ways are not our ways. The fourth point we see is that God's ways call for a response. They call for a response from us. God's ways call us to a response. God wants faith and obedience from us. God wants faith and obedience from us. That's real simple. God wants faith and obedience from you. God wants faith and obedience from me. Watch what happened. God wanted Joshua to believe him and obey him because God wanted Joshua to lead the Israelites to take possession of the promised land. And he wanted Joshua to lead the Israelites in taking possession of the promised land, which meant going first to Jericho. God wants you and me to believe him and obey him because God is maturing us in our faith in him. God wants us to believe him and obey him because God wants us to join him in his work in us and around us. God wants us to believe him and obey him because he wants us to be used by him in his work in others' lives. And so God wants us to believe and obey him because as we do, we follow, he leads, and he then does his work, which is best for us, and he allows us to be used in his work and those around us, which is best for them. And so everyone wins. Since God's ways are God-sized, since God's ways are always successful, why would we ever not obey and follow him? Since his ways are God-sized, we know this. We see it here in Scripture in our lives. We see it in the example of the Son, our Savior, Jesus. Since God's ways are always successful, why wouldn't we believe him? Why wouldn't we obey him? I think there's a couple answers. One is sin still resides inside us. As followers of Jesus, we still battle with the sinful flesh. We've been saved by God's grace. We faith in Christ Jesus, and yet we still battle on a day-by-day basis with the desires of our flesh. That's why Peter said to abstain from the fleshly desires, the sinful desires that wage war 
against your soul. We still are prone to turn away from God and sin against God. We're prone to give in to temptation. And so one reason why we don't always believe God and obey God is because we still have that sin in us that that is certainly being eradicated by God. We desperately need his grace because it's God's grace on a day-by-day basis that allows us to resist sin and say yes to the Savior. It's that grace that we need that allows us to understand that when we do turn away from God and sin against God, we're to confess our sin and ask God for forgiveness, but then we're also to ask God for the grace and strength we need to resist that sin going forward. And so we know one of the reasons why we don't always believe and obey God is because there's sin in us. A second reason is because Satan is working against us. So there's that battle that's going inside us, but there's a battle going on outside of. Satan is working against us. We're in a battle of spiritual warfare as followers of Jesus. We know that that battle is fought in our minds, and we know that our enemy is not one another. It's not flesh and blood. Our battle is against Satan, his demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And Satan is working against us. Why? Because he doesn't want us to believe God. He doesn't want us to obey God. Satan doesn't want us to experience the blessings of God. Satan doesn't want us to join God in his work in our lives. Satan doesn't want us to join God in his work in others' lives. Satan doesn't want us to be mature in our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Satan doesn't want us to be an effective witness for Jesus. Satan doesn't want us to be an effective worshiper of Jesus. Satan is constantly working against you and against me, trying to divide us from God, trying to divide us from our families, trying to divide us from our husbands, trying to divide us from our wives, trying to divide us from our children, trying to divide us from our extended family, trying to divide us from our friends, and trying to divide us as a church. He's always at work. So we have, at the same point in time, this battle going on inside us, and there's a battle going on outside of us. And Satan has an arsenal. He has an arsenal of weapons that he uses against us. An arsenal. Some of those weapons include pride and selfishness, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, a critical spirit, a complaining spirit. Many, many different weapons. Satan in particular here that we see in this passage tried to use two weapons against Joshua. He tried to use two weapons in particular against Joshua. Satan also tries to use these two weapons against you and me on a day-by-day basis. Two weapons that we see that are clear here in this passage. Two weapons that he tried to use against Joshua, and they're the same two weapons he tries to use against you and me on a day-by-day basis. What's Awesome, what's amazing, what's exciting is that God identified these two weapons for Joshua before he got to Jericho. So Joshua was prepared. He was prepared by the Lord's strength, the Lord's wisdom, the Lord's power to be able to resist these two weapons that the enemy was trying to use against him. And we see and identify these two weapons 
in Joshua chapter 1. Back in Joshua chapter 1, we know, as we've talked about in recent weeks, God was getting Joshua ready to go into Jericho. He had told Joshua, hey, listen, Joshua, Moses is dead. Now you're going to be the one to lead my people of Israel into the promised land. I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give you everywhere your footsteps. You're going to have that land. It's going to be all yours. He said, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. He said, make sure that you understand this. I got you. It's going to be given to you. And he then warned Joshua. He warned him about these two weapons that the enemy was going to try to use against him. As he was getting ready to go into the promised land, he was helping Joshua understand that Jericho was going to be first, the first stop in the promised land. And he shared these words in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The two weapons, you see them just as I see them. The two weapons that Satan wanted to use against Joshua, the same weapons he wants to use against you and me on a day-by-day basis, fear and discouragement. Fear and discouragement. Satan wants us to be filled with fear. He wants us to be filled with fear. And we know fear is often connected to the task. Follow me. Fear is often connected to the task in our lives. Fear connects with the task. That means Satan is constantly trying to get our eyes off of God. He's constantly working in your life and my life to try to get our eyes off God. He doesn't want us to look to God. He wants us to look to the task ahead of us. When we take our eyes off God, we give in to fear. When we look at our obstacle rather than God, we give in to fear. When we look at the challenge ahead of us instead of God, we give in to fear. When we look at ourselves rather than God, we give in to fear. When we look at others rather than God, we give in to fear. When we look at our circumstances rather than God, we give in to fear. Satan is constantly trying to get our eyes off God and onto something or someone else other than God. This is why as we get into Joshua chapter 6, what does the Lord say to Joshua as he begins? He says to Joshua, look I. He says, look to me. He says, don't look to Jericho. Don't look to the walls. Don't look to your obstacle. Look to me. Don't be afraid. The way we are not afraid is as we look to the Lord. And that's what he says to you and me today. He says to us, look I, look to me. Don't focus on your obstacle. Don't focus on your trial. Don't focus on that circumstance. Don't focus on that source of pain in your life. Don't focus on others. Don't focus only on yourselves. God says to us, look to me. Look to me and you will not be afraid. He said, Joshua, do not be afraid. How do we fight fear? By looking to the Lord. Paul reminded us. He reminded us in his letter to Timothy, he said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and a sound mind. God's given us a spirit of power to do what he wants us to do, of love, to feel the way he wants us to feel, a sound mind to think the way he wants us to think, so that we can do all that he wants us to do, and so that we can do it by faith and not by fear. And so we know and understand Satan was trying to hinder Joshua 
through the weapon of fear. And God went ahead and said, Joshua, don't you be afraid. Don't you be afraid. And then in chapter 6, he said, look, I have handed Jericho's king and its best soldiers over to you. Look to me, Joshua. Do not be afraid. Look. Look to me. We are able to walk by faith, not fear, as we look to God, not our obstacles on a day-by-day basis. But secondly, Satan wants us to be filled with discouragement. He wanted Joshua to be filled with discouragement. If fear didn't work, he wanted it to be discouragement. And Satan tries to fill us with fear, but he also tries to fill us with discouragement. Now watch this. Discouragement is often connected to the time. Fear is connected to the task in our lives. Discouragement is connected to the time. What do I mean by that? I mean this. We give in to discouragement when the change we want doesn't happen when we want. We begin to give into discouragement. We give into discouragement because what we're hoping and wanting and even praying and trusting may not be happening when we want it to happen. And so if fear doesn't get us, discouragement comes along and tries to wipe us out. And then discouragement produces fear. If fear gets us, then fear produces discouragement. It goes both ways. And so when we're dealing with this time, when we're dealing with a wait period, we begin to get discouraged when the change we want isn't happening when we want. And then Satan knows this, and so he starts to pile on top of us with his lies. And he says things like, God has forgotten about you. God doesn't care about you. God's not going to answer your prayer. God's not going to change your circumstance. God's not going to change this person. God's not going to change you. There's no hope for you. Nothing's ever going to change. Nothing will ever be different. Your husband will not be different. Your wife will not be different. Your kids are not going to be different. Your job's not going to be different. Nothing's ever going to be different. Why is he doing this? Because he wants to discourage you and I. He wants us to be filled with discouragement. And so the Lord knew this. And so what did he do with Joshua? He told Joshua, listen, Joshua, in seven days, Jericho will be yours. In seven days, Jericho is yours. He said, you circle once for six days, and on seventh day, you circle seven times, and then you go forward because it's yours. The wait for Joshua and Israel through those seven days was designed to increase their faith. Now, there are times when we would say to ourselves, well, man, if God will just tell me in seven days this is going to be happening, I'll wait. True. Maybe, maybe not. That might help things out. But I would suggest even in those seven days, that wait wasn't easy when you take the context of what was going on. There are times when God will tell us the when. There are many times God won't tell us the when. But I can assure you of this, whether he does or doesn't tell us the when, the wait is always designed to increase our faith and trust in him. It's always designed. And we see that in God's answer. God's answer to Joshua and us is awesome. God's answer to Joshua and us covers the task and the time that we're dealing with. It covered the task and time for Joshua. It covers the task and time that we deal with on a day-by-day basis. It covers the task and time that you came into this room focused in on in your own life personally. God's answer 
covers it all. And God's answer is the same that he gave to Joshua. It's the same answer he gives to you and me today. And it is simply this. I am with you wherever you go. I am with you wherever you go. God's answer to you and me is I am with you. Say that with me out loud. I am with you. God says to you and to me, I am with you. We get to walk and wait with God, not on God. We get to walk and wait with him, not on him. That's where that fellowship comes in. As we wait with him, we are walking and talking with him. And then we're able to see that faith increase in our wait. Because we're not waiting on him with crossed arms, tapping our feet, waiting to see what's going to go on and when it's going to happen. No, 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 no. We're walking and waiting with him. Waiting with him. And we're walking and talking with him. And that makes all the difference for you and for me. We wait and we walk with the Lord. That's why he said, I am with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, Joshua. I will be with you wherever you go. What he says to you and me this morning is he says, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I am with you wherever you go. Listen, fear and discouragement is real. Fear and discouragement is real for you and me as followers of Jesus. Our battle with fear and discouragement doesn't mean we are weak in our faith. It means we are walking by faith. Satan is only concerned with faithful followers of Jesus. He is concerned with committed followers of Jesus. He's coming after committed, faithful followers of Jesus. Satan is not all that concerned with complacent, faithless followers of Jesus who have parked it in the stands of the Christian life. He doesn't have to be concerned. He doesn't have to worry about fear and discouragement. He's already won the day. They're out of the way. So when you and I, when we battle and wrestle with fear and discouragement, it does not mean we're weak in our faith. It means we're actually walking by faith. We're fighting the good fight of the faith. And we know here in this word, and we know in our own lives, God doesn't take us out of our battle with fear and discouragement. God is with us in our battle with fear and discouragement. Therefore, we can take our fear and discouragement to God and leave it with him because he knows. And he's with us. And as we follow him, we are reminded that he is with us. And he is the one who gives us the grace and strength to resist fear and discouragement and all those other weapons that the enemy might try to use against us. And he is the one who empowers us to respond to him by faith and obedience, step by step, day by day. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of response. God is speaking to us, and I believe his message for us this morning, by the fact that you are here 
in person, by the fact that you are listening online, signifies that God wanted you to hear what he had to say to you through his word this morning by his spirit in you. It's appropriate, it's right, it's a good word because it's God's word. And he's wanting you to know once again, fresh and new this morning, he's with you. He's watching. He's working. He's making a way. He's drawing you. He's calling you to him. He's asking you to keep trusting, to keep obeying, to keep waiting, to keep walking with him, with him. Those walls are going to fall at some point. His plan is going to be fulfilled. That prayer is going to be answered at some point. It's going to be God-sized when it happens because that's who he is. Keep trusting, keep obeying, keep following. Our prayer partners will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. God may be calling you and drawing you to go to a brother or sister in Christ to minister to them this morning. Each one of us in our own way is dealing and facing a Jericho. We're facing some walls, some challenges, some obstacles in our lives and our relationships. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's family, maybe it's regarding finances, maybe it's regarding health, maybe it's relationships. We're all dealing with these obstacles. God's speaking to us. And it's for us, and so we need to respond to him, but God's also speaking to us because it's for those around us. And we need to move out by faith in him when he calls us to. And so If God's calling you to go to a brother or sister in Christ, to encourage them, to bless them, to pray for them, pray over them, to tell them that you love them, tell them that you're with them as well, don't hesitate. Move forward. Be that minister, that blessing to those around you. You've yet to say yes to Jesus and receive his gift of salvation by his grace, then he's pouring out that grace once again to you right here, right now. You got another opportunity. You got another time. This is your opportunity. This is your moment to say yes, Lord, to respond to God by faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation. This is a day of salvation for you. Say yes to him. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Let's stand and let's respond in obedience to the Lord as he works for us and in us this morning.